We're coming close to the end of the story. We started in January. The story is a book, if you're new here this morning, the story is a, is a paraphrase. It's actually a novel-type form that takes you from Genesis to Revelations. It gives you the whole Bible in, in a story form. It's the story that God is telling to the earth. And it's in chronological order, unlike your Bible that's written specifically with, with history books and then with poetry books and then with prophetic books and then with gospels and history and, and revelation. But the, the story puts all of those poetry sections and those prophecies right in the historical setting where they belong. So when you're reading through it, you're reading the Bible in chrono- chronological order. Uh, last Sunday, we dealt with the first part of the ministry of uh, the church, the history of the church uh, in, in the world. After Jesus ascended back to glory, he left the responsibility of sharing the gospel to the world to his church. This morning, we're going to look a little more in depth into the life of the Apostle Paul who was the man that God used to to really disseminate the gospel and get it moving forward. Until Paul began to uh, reach out with his missionary burden for the world, the church was pretty well clustered around in Jerusalem. Persecution had caused some to spread out from there, but they were trying to maintain almost a little regional area with this. And that was never God's intent. God's intent was that it be taken to the whole world. And so God raised up the apostle Paul, who was a powerful uh, minister that spread the gospel to the entire known world. In fact, um, even where we stand today in America, we can, contri- we can attribute our receiving of the gospel to the ministry of the Apostle Paul who took it first to Europe, to our ancestors, who then brought it to us. So this is chapter 30. Next Sunday will be the last Sunday. We will finish the story. But this is Paul's final days. Now, what I would like to do in introducing this message to you this morning, I'd like to just tell you a little historical uh, um, information about two great characters that were contemporaries uh, and and made an impact on history. Um, In fact, these two characters actually lived in the same city, and for a while, their lives actually overlapped. For a short time, a few years, they were actually in the same city of Rome at the same time. In the seventh decade of the first century A.D., two men with very different backgrounds, with very different careers, drastically different ambitions, and uh, for very different reasons, both of these men lived in Rome. One of them was a man named Nero, and the other was a man named Paul. At that time, Nero was a name that was a household term. Everybody knew who Nero was. Not very many people knew who Paul was at that time. Um, In in today's world, all of the TV talk shows would have wanted to have an interview with Nero. All the late-night entertainers would have wanted Nero on their program. 
The president would have had a state dinner for Nero because, you see, young Nero was now the emperor of Rome, the most powerful man in the entire world at that time. He was a hero. Paul was a zero uh, in, in the minds of so many, many people. You see, uh, Nero at 25 years of age was hailed by most of the world as a political genius. Paul was a little stoop-shouldered, balding man nearing the end of his life. Nero was all about ruling the world. Paul was all about disseminating the gospel of Jesus Christ. At that time, Paul's assertion that a man died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later arose from the dead was hard for a lot of people to accept. In fact, most people thought that such assertion meant that you had lost your mind and that you might even be dangerous with such uh, assertion. So they'd put you in jail or in a dungeon. Uh, but <laughs> if, you, if you were to ask anybody, if the man on the street with a microphone had stopped anybody and said, uh, who's going to make an impact on the world, Nero or Paul? They would immediately said, Nero. And then they would have probably followed with something like this. And who's Paul? Who's Paul? Let me tell you a little bit more about Nero. Nero was, he, he was the man. In fact, uh, he had married Papria Sabernay, and she was a beautiful blonde. I mean, she would turned everybody's head. She was a striking, beautiful woman, and she bathed in donkey's milk every day. In fact, they had 400 donkeys that provided the milk for her daily baths. And after her bath, she was uh, dried by the waving of swan feathers, and then she was given a massage in crocodile mucus. Any of you ladies like to sign up for that beauty treatment? <laughs> that was. Let me tell you why she went through that. Nero liked soft skin. And so what Nero wanted, Nero got. And so his wife had to, to uh, succumb to whatever his wishes and desires were. I should say wives because they were more than just that one. In fact, by the time Nero was 25 years of age, he was so sold on himself that he declared himself to be more than just an emperor in Rome. He declared himself to be God. He deified himself. Had a 120-foot high statue built of himself. So you might say all of Rome looked up to Nero they also, many of them, looked down on the Apostle Paul. But let me tell you, as different as their lives were, so was the ending of their lives. Because Nero, by the time he was 29 years old, he was lonely, paranoid. His second wife killed his first wife. And then he kicked his pregnant second wife so hard that she not only lost the baby, but she died. And at 
About four years after Paul died, Nero finally became so lonely and so lost in life that he didn't feel like life was worth living anymore. He took his own life. Now, it, it makes no sense by world standard, does it? He had everything you could possibly want. He was the most powerful man in the world. He had wealth at his disposal. He had, every, well, I started to say everything. He had almost everything. He had everything the world could give, but he didn't have Jesus. On the other hand, Paul was in prison. Paul didn't have what Nero had, but Paul did have Jesus. In fact, Paul's desire was that he might finish strong. In fact, in Acts 20 and 24, the apostle Paul said, I I just want to finish my course with joy. Quite a statement coming from a prisoner, isn't it? I want to finish my course with joy. And so that brings me to my text this morning. I'll get started with the message. That was just a little introduction, and the sermon won't be much longer than the introduction, so don't get too nervous. By the way, I hope everybody will stay with us this morning because at the end of the service, we want to receive some new members into the church. I'd like for you to be here for that. So uh, we, we will move forward. Here's my text. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. And I want to show you that Paul's wish and desire did come true. Here's what he said. Paul said, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Look at this. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I want to tell you, Paul came to the end of his race with joy. And while he was beheaded, basically what he was saying here is, go ahead and chop my head off, Nero, if you want to, because when you do, God's going to crown it with an eternal crown of glory. He finished, fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished the course, and he ended with joy. I want to look back just briefly into different aspects of Paul's life. I'm going to look, first of all, at Paul's tumultuous life as it's described in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 28. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in laborings, more, off, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and in nakedness. Besides... The other things, what comes to me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow. Few men have suffered like the Apostle Paul. When you look at his aged body, you would see many, many scars on his back. Because look at this. Five times, he said, five times 
he was beaten with 39 stripes. That doesn't mean a total of 39 stripes. It means 39 stripes five times. Five times Paul was beaten for preaching the gospel with 39 stripes each time. Three times, he said, he was beaten with rods. I looked into that one time. I, I, I wondered, what, what's the purpose of these rods? And, and then I discovered it was to inflict lasting pain. You see, when you get a whip across your back, as soon as all of that kind of heals up in a matter of weeks, you know, you're, you, you're kind of okay. You can go from there. But those rods that they used, iron rods, they were used to cause bone bruises. Anybody ever had a bone bruise? Boy, you're talking about something painful. And it lasts and it lasts and it lasts. And three times a Roman soldier would take a, take a rod and beat Paul, trying to break his ribs, trying to fracture his backbone, beating to cause bruises to his bone. He suffered profusely. One time he was even stoned and left for dead. It happened at Lystra. He'd been preaching the gospel, and they drug him out of the city and stoned him and left him for dead. They thought he was gone, but God raised him up. And he went right back in town and started preaching the gospel. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I know me well enough to know that if they drug me out of Grovetown and stoned me and left me for dead, and God was to bless me and let me live and let me get up from there, I'd be headed to Columbia <laughs> or Myrtle Beach or somewhere as far away from here as I could get. Not Paul. No, sir. He, he had an insatiable desire, a drive that, that, uh, uh, that couldn't be stopped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he let nothing slow him down. Three times he was shipwrecked. One of those shipwrecks left him a day and a night in the sea, in the briny waters. How would you like to dodge sharks for 36 hours? And yet when Paul made it to shore, he hit the ground running and preaching the gospel again and again and again. What a remarkable man he was. Look at him, Paul, the traveling evangelist. You can find his footprints all over the known world. In fact, in the back of the very back of the story, there's a there's a page, couple of pages of maps here. You can see this this is the area where Paul preached. He he literally traversed the entire known Roman world at his time. He he had to, every major city. He was there. You'll find the footprints of Paul. You'll find the influence of Paul. You'll find, you'll find the, the ministry of Paul and the fruits of his labor that remained. Not only that, I want you to look at Paul in his apostolic and pastoral ministry. He not only was an evangelist preaching the message to those who had not heard, he spent time in a lot of these cities and took time to, to, to plant churches. And he did that by working, making his own living. He was a tent maker by trade. So he was bivocational. That meant he worked a job to supply the money needs he had. 
And then he preached the gospel to build the church. History says that in some of these towns or cities where Paul stayed and planted a church, that he would work in the early, early hours of the morning before daylight till about 11 o'clock. And at 11 o'clock in that time, people would begin to gather in, in uh, open areas, marketplaces, where they would eat their lunch. And in and, and one of the cities, for example, there was, a, there was a town hall called the Place of Tyrannus. But it was named after a man named Tyrannus who was a public speaker. And, and Paul would go in there every day at 11 a.m. and would preach from 11 to 4. And you guys think I preach long. He, he preached from 11 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, six days a week. In one of those cities alone, he preached 3,120 hours, solid preaching. And his preaching had results. So you, because you see, Paul was a church planter. He planted churches. At least 10 that we know of that Paul planted. Not only that, he, Paul was a pastor. He pastored some of these churches. One of those churches was Ephesus where he pastored for a couple years. And, um, and it, it, one of the most touching stories that you'll read, you, you'll see it in the book of Acts when Paul's on his final missionary journey and he visits Ephesus for the last time, and you see what a bond there was between his heart and their heart. And they, they followed Paul, the members of the church at Ephesus, as far as the seashore when he got on a boat. And he told him, he said, I'll never be back this way again, not on this earth. And, and they wept and fell on his neck and, and hugged him. The, the love there was between that pastor and the congregation and the congregation of the pastor, that was Paul's great ministry there. <laughs> to beat all this guy who worked and made a living who preached for hours every day four and five hours a day this guy who planted churches this man who evangelized the known world he also was a writer i mean what do you do in your spare time most of Paul's, a lot of Paul's letters that he wrote was when he was in prison. That, that gave him some, I guess God allowed him to go to prison so he'd have time to write. I, I, the rest of the time he couldn't have possibly had any writing time. But he wrote, and did he write? Folks, you have his letters in the Bible. He wrote to the churches that he had planted and the churches that he had ministered to. He, he wrote to the church at Rome. He wrote to the church at Corinth. He wrote to the church at Ephesus. He wrote to the church at Galatia. He wrote to the church at, uh, at, at Philippi. He wrote to the, ch- to the church and the people at Colossae. And then in addition to that, he wrote to individuals like Titus and Timothy and, and uh, Onesimus and, and, and personal letters that he shared as well. He was a writer. Fourteen books in the New Testament authored by the Apostle Paul. How did he do all this? And how did he endure all of that affliction when he was being beaten over and over again? I think we see it here as Paul endures hardship as a good soldier in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 12. Let me read it. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, 
who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Folks, that's what drove the Apostle Paul. He had an experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You can read it in Acts chapter 9. He had an experience with Jesus that was so powerful. It didn't just change his life for the moment. It changed his life forever. And he was so driven by that experience and so driven by that wonderful revelation that he had of the Lord that he was willing to suffer whatever it took to, to persevere, to press forward, to keep moving on, to tell it everywhere he went, to, to, just, to just go. And did he go? And preach God. I told you earlier, he, he not only preached to all the Roman world, he preached in Asia Minor. He preached in, uh, in Europe. That's, that's why we have the gospel. Our ancestors received it when Paul accepted that Macedonian call and went to Europe and preached the gospel. And he preached. Isn't it amazing? Before, before his conversion, he was a religionist. And boy, was he uh, 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 one of those hard, cold uh, in your face, beat you down with religion. But when he became an apostle, some Bible commentators refer to him as the gospel of grace. Wow. He moved from legalism to grace. I'm glad about the grace, aren't you? Glad about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I, I just love Paul's attitude. I, I just love his attitude. He, when he, let me give you a couple of examples. Remember I said a while ago he was, three times he was shipwrecked and one time he was a day and a night in the deep. When he landed in that little island of Melita, he hit the ground preaching the gospel. Here he is soaked with water and, and he goes right in and starts helping them build a fire and, and he's gathering wood to get a fire going so they can dry off so he can have a church service and and while he's, while he's gathering the sticks, a viper comes out of the wood and latches to his hand. And the natives that saw it thought, oh, my goodness, this guy must really be bad. He escaped the sea, but the gods are against him. And they, they finally got him because they knew that that viper was a very, very poisonous snake that in the matter of a few minutes he would be dead but old Paul just shook it off in the fire and just kept going on to the glory of God. And they looked at him. He didn't even swell up. So then they changed their mind. They said, he's not a bad guy. He must really be a good man. He must have something that we don't have. And they came to him and they said, man, we don't know what it is about you, but there's something different. Nobody we've ever known of survived that kind of snake bite. But We've got a, the head man of our island is sick. We want to take you and introduce you to him. And Paul went to 
not only be introduced to him, but prayed for him, and God healed him and raised him up. Amen. Another time, you might remember he and Silas were preaching in, uh, in a certain place, and, and they took Paul, one of those beatings that he got, one of those whippings, they gave it to him, and not only him, but his traveling companion, Silas, that was helping him in the ministry. They both got beat miserably, and, and then after that terrible beating, they put him in stocks and threw him into prison. And look at his attitude. Again, folks, that this, this, there's so much we can learn from this about the trials and the hardships of life. Here's Paul. He's just been beaten, and now he's in stocks inside of a prison. And what does he do? I'd be nursing my wounds. Paul looks over at Silas and says, let's, let's sing. Let's have a little worship service here in jail. And they start singing. At midnight, the Bible says they sang. You can, you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. And verse 25 says, and at midnight they sang praises to God. And the prisoners heard them worshiping God. And not only did the prisoners hear them, but God heard them. And God sent an earthquake and shook that old prison until the, the stocks fell off of them, the locks fell off the doors, the bars swung open, and they were free to go. And a Philippian jailer started to commit suicide because he knew that he'd be killed, executed, for letting these prisoners go. And Paul said, ho, 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 don't do yourself any harm here, fella. We're all here. The prisoners weren't going to go anywhere, not with a man like Paul what they had just seen. They were waiting to see what he had to say after his worship service. So he preached the gospel. The Philippian jailer got saved and his whole household got saved. God gave us a revival there and Paul planted another church for the glory of God. Somebody give God some praise. (laughs) Folks, it makes a difference when you can keep your praise in your prison. It makes a difference when you can worship God in your trials and through your heartaches and through your pain. So the last thing I want to share with you this morning, just bring this to a close. I want to tell you that Paul's life speaks to each one of us when we're called on to endure hardships. I don't know who you are today. I don't know what all of you are going through. I know what some of you are going through. But I don't know what everybody's going through. But there may be some of you here this morning that are going through some hardships. It may not be the same kind that Paul went through. It may not be a public beating. It may not be a prison cell. But you may be hurting today. Some of you may be dealing with sickness. Some of you may be dealing with grief. Some of you may be dealing with a broken home or broken family. You may be dealing with disappointment that you never thought you'd have to deal with. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe your dreams and your aspirations have come to naught. You've been devastated. Maybe you've got a wayward child or maybe your marriage didn't work out. Your heart's broken. You've got wounds that are deep. Deep. 
you're hurting. I want to tell you something this morning. If you can somehow, in the midst of your storm, lift up your eyes and keep praising the Lord. If somehow in your heartache and in your sorrow and in your pain, if you can just keep your eyes on Jesus and realize that even when we don't understand, God is still a good God. God's mercies are still new every morning. God's grace is sufficient for anything and everything that you'll ever go through. That if you'll just hold on to God, this midnight will sooner or later turn into a daybreak. It will happen. Suffering won't endure forever. It may endure for a night. But the Bible says joy is coming in the morning. Folks, we're headed for a place where there's no more sorrow. One of my favorite passages is way over there towards the end of the Bible. When you start reading in Revelations chapter 21, Paul sees the end, or John sees the end of this thing. And he said, there's coming a day when God's going to personally wipe all the tears from our eyes. There will be no more sorrow. And there will be no more pain. Some of you are suffering. Last Sunday morning, at the end of the second service, we prayed for David Gomez. He's been in Atlanta in the hospital since January. You, you think you've had some time in the hospital. He's been in the hospital since January in Atlanta. A couple of weeks ago, they sent him back to Augusta. And they told him, here, how old is 18? That's what I thought. 18-year-old young man. And, and they've told him there's nothing more they can do for him at Emory. And they've sent him back to Augusta. And he stood here last Sunday morning. And he said, the doctors told me I've got two months to live. How would you like to be 18 years old and have the doctors tell you you've got two months I don't know what you're going through this morning, but that, 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 that's tough. That's hard. That's, but that's not the end. That's not the end. That is not the end. That, I don't know if you saw it on Facebook or not. I asked him to, to share his testimony. He called me the other day and gave me his testimony, and I asked him to share it, so he put it on Facebook. Jacob Thomas that goes here to church 23rd, just a couple days ago, he put this on the internet. He said, dear friends, I want to share with you a miracle that took place in our family for the glory of God. On August the 10th, my son Jeremiah, Jeremiah's three years old, he was rushed to the hospital in an ambulance. On the 12th, we were hit with the news that Jeremiah has a disease called carrier malformation. It's a condition in which the brain tissues extend into the spinal column and blocks the fluid flow to the head. That explains why he was having, a three-year-old boy having excruciating headaches, unbearable headaches. They finally had to take him to the emergency room. His head was hurting so bad. 
This disease has a lot of scary symptoms, and Jeremiah was beginning to show these signs. We prayed for him. Brother Gaines and I went down and prayed. But our Sunday school class had a special time of prayer, really felt the presence of the Lord. The whole church has been praying, and other folks have been praying. And so Jacob called me the other day day to tell me that we just had another MRI. Remember, they've got the MRI that showed the malformation and the brain going down into the spinal column and blocking the fluid. They got a new MRI two days ago. They don't understand it. They can't explain it. But they said, your son doesn't have that disease. It's all gone. Everything, everything's fine. I stood here this morning. And I said, Lord, what kind of week is this? We got one great victory, and we got a defeat. I guess it balances out. And immediately I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and he said, you don't have one victory and one defeat. You have two victories. You have two victories. You have two victories. One's more difficult to understand. And one's going to take some time to walk through the journey. But I promise you folks, at the end of the way, at the end of the way, have you ever seen a sanctuary called the Cathedral of Nero? No, you haven't. You never will. The only thing I know named Nero, I heard about a guy named his dog Nero. But you got a cathedral of St. Paul. And I know a lot of people named Paul. And I know a lot of Pauls, and I know a lot of Paulines, and I know a lot of Paulettes. There's churches in Augusta named after St. Paul. <laughs> All these years later, who really made the impact? The emperor? Or a preacher that just refused to quit. He just kept pressing on and kept pressing on. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. Stand with me, please, this morning. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this morning to press on. Don't stop. Don't be deterred. Don't allow bad news or heartache or pain or suffering or anything else to stop you from the goal. Eventually, we're going to cross the finish line, folks, and it's going to be victory forever. The family circle will be reunited, and we won't be together just for a day or a week or a year or a month or a couple decades or 70 or 80 years. We'll be together 10,000 years from now, we'll just be beginning. We'll keep going. It's prayer time. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come quickly, please. I don't know what you need prayer for today. 
I know this, if you're unsaved, you certainly need to come and give your heart to Jesus. We would invite you to do that. If you're away from God, you need to come home. Renew your fellowship with the Lord. If you have other needs, we encourage you today to come. Bring those needs to the Lord. There are people here that will be glad to pray with you and for you. Maybe you want to find a place to just pray, just, just you and God. But it's prayer time. Brother Steve's going to lead us in some worship. You respond as you feel led today. Just come on. Come on. God bless you as you pray.